All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Staying Aligned podcast. My name, Alexander Eisner. Um, I am not joined today by Mr. Sean Steele. He is uh, out saving the world per usual. Uh, but we are, however, joined by a world-class orthopedic surgeon uh, who has many accolades behind his name, uh, too many to count. Dr. Roshan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Means a lot. Uh, means a lot that you that you came by. You're a, a return guest to the podcast. Uh, we uh, we we've changed names since um, since since you were here last. We are the Staying Aligned podcast. The pun tickles me, um, <laughs> but um, but it's the same uh, the same uh, bat time, same bat channel sort of thing. Um, and today we have uh, we have you here, and I wanted to make sure that we talked about uh, a whole bunch of good stuff for chiropractors. But before we get uh, too far into that, let's just talk about bona fides. So, what what is your practice? What do you mostly do? Just give us some 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 back of the baseball card stats for you. Yeah, so uh, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, uh, board certified orthopedic surgeon. Most of my practice is actually really spine surgery, so that that's really what I do. About eighty percent of my work is is spine, whether it's the cervical, thoracic, or lower back, into the sacrum and and to some extent into the skull. The rest of the twenty percent is really just general orthopedics, such as like hips, knees, shoulders, wrists, and hand. But majority of my work is really just related to just spine work. Okay, so. Do me and everyone listening, watching a favor and differentiate from neurosurgery, because I think there's a mystification out there uh, about these two specialties. Uh, they're obviously specialties unto themselves, neurosurgery, orthopedic surgery. Um, and then within orthopedic surgery, there's sort of people who specialize in wrists and hands and shoulders and knees and spines. Um, can, you, can you do some demystification for me? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so first of all, orthopedics is really just the surgery of like bones, ligaments, and things of that nature of the body. So within it, obviously, there's different subspecialties, one being the spine. Um, and so we do our orthopedic work, and then we subspecialize in, in spine work, which includes all spine surgery. So there's two types of people here now that really do spine surgery, the orthopedic spine guys, as well as the neurosurgery spine guys. Um, and we both really do spine surgery sort of the same. Traditionally, it was a little different. Um, probably traditionally, the bony work of the spine was more in the hands and the world of the orthopedic surgeon, while the nerve work and the soft tissue works were really more related to the neurosurgeons. But probably over the last 10, 20, 30 years, things have started to change, mainly because the orthopedic world and the neurosurgeon world started to commingle. And, and now I, I don't think there is any really significant difference between a neurosurgeon um, performing or treating spine, whether it, or an orthopedic spine surgeon. I think they're both about the same in the modern spine world. Okay, great. That's really uh, interesting. I think useful for a lot of people. So if you're talking about uh, micro disc or discectomies, you're talking about spinal fusion surgeries, you're talking about artificial discs. Uh, that's all within your world and it's all within a neurosurgeon's world. It's just, uh, it's just going to come down to location and preference and, you know, who's a great doctor who works on lean, who's in your area, that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. We all do everything at this point and it really comes down to who you feel most comfortable with. Is it a, a neurosurgeon who's doing it or is it an orthopedic spine surgeon? But ultimately it's who that person is at the end of the day and how well they, they really treat the patients. And uh, of course, and so and so you you do mostly spines, but you said you also do extremity stuff as well. Is that right? 
Correct. Yeah. So about 20% of my work is, is unrelated to the spine. It would be everything else in orthopedics. And how much of your business now is in uh, personal in the personal injury space? Well, I think patients who've been involved in car accidents, I would probably say is probably about 15% of my work is really patients who've been involved in some type of accident and involved in some type of sort of litigation. The remainder is really just treating patients on a day-to-day basis. It's just a clinical practice of patients who have a variety of ailments and come to see an orthopedic surgeon. Correct. Exactly. Got it. So, so 15%. Wow. So that's, so not your bread and butter by any stretch, but certainly you have a good amount of experience in it to be able to speak to PI related issues and, um, and, and PI related, you know, charting and, and how those reports are different, all those sorts of things. Correct. I think every type of patient that you see has certain sort of requirements and things that they, they value. Um, and I think that the patients who have been involved in accidents there are certain things that are important to them. And I think throughout the years, we've, we've really learned what is important to them and what's not just like maybe another patient you see who's an athlete has certain other types of things that may be important to them. And you, you address those during your normal routine care. So in the world of PI, I mean, let's sort of jump right into it. And when we're dealing with chiropractors, um, and we're dealing with PI cases. A, a lot of a lot of PI cases are referred to orthopedists and orthopedic surgeons from chiropractors. Um, they, as you, I'm sure know, uh, quarterback a lot of PI cases, particularly their own patients that come to them first after car accidents, which is a growing number, according to recent studies, a growing number of people going to their chiropractor uh, following a, a motor vehicle accident. And then that practitioner then quarterbacking that that treatment, that patient's holistic care, be it, you know, musculoskeletal or psychological or whatever they, they end up uh, sort of doing. When you're being referred by a chiropractor, talk me through sort of best practices, do's and don'ts, what they should be looking for. I mean, I'd love to know sort of how you best or in an ideal world would 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 interface with a chiropractor. Yeah, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. We we do receive a lot of referrals from chiropractors. And likewise, we refer back to a lot of chiropractors as well. They do something that we certainly have no capability of, of doing. And so we really work with them and we rely upon them. In some sense, we actually rely upon them a little more than maybe other healthcare providers, mainly because they, they have the opportunity to see the patient on a regular basis. They see them from point A to point B, all the way to the end of it, which I think has more value than than us, where we only see them maybe once or twice in, in a month or once or twice every couple of months. So I think we, we have a lot of value in, in their insight and what they find. I think what's important when uh, a patient is referred to us from a chiropractor, or even if a patient goes back to a chiropractor, is really a couple of things. I think the, the, the most important thing that we value the most is the complaints of the patient um, in those reports. I think those are very valuable to us to see where the patient's complaints are um, and in, in detail, mainly because is it in the neck? Does it go down the arm? Is it in the back? Does it go down the leg? Because we really need to understand if there is that component of radiating pain going down a nerve or not, because that really significantly changes our, our treatment plan. So I think having a, a very detailed approach and a detailed explanation of the complaints the patient has is super important to us. So we really rely upon that. And the other item that we really rely upon are provocative tests, various types of physical examination tests that 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 sort of cause pain. They're called provocative tests. Those are also very important, and we really rely upon those. I frequently refer to reports looking for those provocative tests. See, ah, they have this test, 
So I'm probably right in my diagnosis or I'm going down the right pathway because they had it for multiple visits. So I think those are two aspects that we really value a lot when we're working back and forth with, with chiropractors. That's that's spectacular. So you're getting that information from the chiropractor's records and their reports, their soap notes that come to you, hopefully with the referral, um, so that you're able to take that into the diagnostic picture uh, along with objective tests like MRIs and x-rays and things like that uh, to, to make an overall diagnosis and treatment plan. Exactly. That's it. A lot of the patients will bring the reports with them or we'll contact the chiropractor's office. They'll either send all the reports or they may have a final report that sort of summarizes everything. Um, and then, yes, we, we pull that and then we have a better understanding of what the patient's complaining of. And then that, then you're right. Then we go on to, to really analyze the MRIs and determine what our next treatment plans will be. So definitely. Gotcha. Now you, your, um, when you're reviewing these chiropractic records, is there anything, I mean, you, you talked about these provocative tests. Is there anything unhelpful? Is there anything that when you see it in there, you're like, I wish we didn't do that, or I wish I didn't see that, or or it's not as helpful when I see this sort of thing in these reports. I'm not, I'm not sure I have a specific example in mind, but you know, the chiropractors who listen to this sort of podcast, these are the people who are really trying to hone in on the best way that they can help their patients in a PI context. And so not to call anybody out, but if you're like, Hey, you know, occasionally I see this, maybe this is not helpful, or maybe there's a better way of doing it than this, uh, when it comes to referrals to you personally or to other orthopods, is there, is there anything like that? There is, I think the, some of the things that I've noticed is, um, it's great to see all the positive findings, but sometimes what ends up happening is they'll, the, the reports will have <clears throat> negative findings. For example, no pain in the shoulder for whatever. I'm just giving an example. And sometimes that, that doesn't help us mainly because maybe on that particular day, day, they didn't have shoulder pain, but as the days progress or probably the weeks before they had shoulder pain, I think whenever there's a negative in a report, I like to better understand is that negative on just that one particular day or is that negative throughout? Because by the time they come to us and there's a negative, like no shoulder pain, then, but the patient says, well, I had shoulder pain. I just didn't have it when I saw it with the chiropractor on that day. And then it becomes a, a little bit confusing for us to be able to better understand the shoulder. So I've, I've realized the negatives, they're fine to have it, but I think be very clear, are these negatives really negatives on just that one day or are they negatives throughout that patient's sort of care? And that's a, a really interesting point. It comes up a lot in um, in like emergency room records where, the, you know, these records will just say denies uh, shoulder pain, denies hip pain, denies back pain, denies loss of consciousness. Um, and the way that's phrased in lay terms makes it sound like they denied it, like it was accused of them and they denied. Um yeah. And I know that that's not how it means. It's not what it means in a medical context. I understand denial or or complaints of pain doesn't mean that they were literally complaining. Um, but in a in a med legal context, when you have a negative finding that's reported like that, an adjuster or an attorney uh, or somebody who's going to look over your shoulder later and go, well, wait a minute, they denied back pain or there was a negative finding for shoulder pain. Why are we now months later talking about a shoulder or a back when when you know we've got these negative findings and, and they try to draw these inferences that well that must mean that it's a new injury or an exacerbation of a condition prior 
Um, and, and so that, that creates a lot of problems for us and it can create problems for you though, not necessarily in the diagnostic and treatment side, but in the, you know, getting your bill paid side, because I have to then go and take the, whatever recommendation for shoulder, shoulder surgery and try to get that justified and paid. And they're going to push back and say, well, wait a minute, there was a negative, you know, negative finding from the chiropractor on shoulder pain. There's a negative, uh, you know, uh, uh, finding in the ER of shoulder pain. Where's this coming from? Um, so I, I absolutely. So what's a better way of, of doing that then? I mean, what would you like to see in a report? Well, I think if there are negatives, um, <clears throat> the best way is to, to have clarifications to it. It's negative on this day or the patient states that today they have no shoulder pain. Um, something where it's a little bit more clear. And you're absolutely right. We write these denies shoulder pain, denies neck pain, because we're not really thinking in the in the world that you may be thinking. We just sort of think, okay, well, they're not complaining of neck pain or or whatever it may be, and we'll we'll just explain it that way. But I think that's where if, if there's clarifications, like no neck pain today, or for the last week, there has been no neck pain, something where it kind of clarifies that. I'm not saying that this person never had this, or maybe you are trying to say it and that's fine. You'll say no shoulder pain at all related to this accident, which is fine. I just think it needs to be clarified a little bit more yeah. rather than, like you said, the ER says denies this and therefore for the rest of their life, they don't have any back pain. Right. Example. Yeah. And that, and, and that comes up. I hear it all the time. Well, they denied back pain. They denied loss of consciousness. It's like, well, I don't know, man, if they had just lost consciousness, they, who knows what the what they agreed to or denied, you know, minutes after they came to, uh, which is not your world, but I, I, that, that, that one always gets me. Well, they denied losing consciousness five minutes after they may or may not have lost consciousness. It's like, <laughs> maybe <laughs> and, and you're reading up a good point. Like a lot of times patients don't understand what their, their symptoms are. First of all, you're right. They probably don't even remember that they lost consciousness until there's either videos or eyewitnesses that says, look, you were laying down for five minutes and they don't recall that. Um, and the other thing is, is patients may have shoulder pain, for example, but they may not think of it. They're like, well, my neck hurts. Yeah, my shoulder kind of hurts, but I don't really think anything of it. And it, it's not that they're doing anything wrong. They just don't think much of it because they're really focused on something that maybe is more painful and, and bothering them more at that time. Yeah. And That's it, not it a name. I don't remember what it's called, but where, where you've got one major injury and it sort of masks the, the lesser ones. Yeah. And then you, you deal with that. And then it's like, oh, you know, you know, now that you mention it, my neck feels a lot better and my knee is killing me. And, you know, come to think of it, it might have been hurting this whole time, but I didn't really bring it up because, you know, my neck was on fire. And, and you're absolutely right. Your body has a tendency to fixate on the worst areas. Um, so yes, that's definitely a, a possibility. Um, awesome. So, we, so we've sort of, we've, we've sort of talked about the records and we've talked about what's helpful and what's less helpful. Um, one thing I want to ask you, this came up recently. I was talking about it last night at a seminar uh, with a bunch of chiropractors and uh, it came up, it came up two places. One, we had a, a, an insurance adjuster uh, speak at one of our seminars one time uh, recently, and she talked about this. And then I had a defense attorney who also brought it up as a positive thing. And so I, I wanted to run it by you and see if you had any experience with it and what your thoughts were. So the idea was that a chiropractor or, or an orthopedic surgeon, but but from the chiropractor side, if they refer to an orthopedist or an orthopedic surgeon, they get a report back that they could pick up the phone and talk to you and say, hey, he, you, your diagnosis, my diagnosis, they're the same, they're a little different. Your treatment plan, my treatment plan, they're the same, they're a little different. How can we work together to get this patient better? What, what should I be looking out for in terms of, because a lot of orthopedic reports, at least initial ones, say things like, 
you know, uh, sent back to chiropractor for six to eight weeks of treatment. If pain persists, please have send them back to me. Okay, well, maybe let's be more specific than that. What 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 kind of pain specifically would make you think I should send them to you as opposed to maybe a pain management specialist or something like that? How would how, have you ever been in the experience or have you ever had the experience or been in the position to get a phone call like that from a chiropractor? Uh, and if not, or even if so, how, how do you feel about that sort of collaboration? I think that's actually a, a very good point. And there are a few chiropractors that I've worked with for, for many years, and we have one another cell phone. So it's absolutely that they do the same thing. They call or they text and they say, hey, I have this individual who has these problems. What do you think? Should I send this to you? Is it someone that I should send to a pain management or is this someone else that we should send it to? I think that's really important because it really saves the patient's um, time and it really streamlines their treatment care. So I think you're absolutely right. I think whenever a chiropractor or even any, any providers unsure of where they're sending it, I think they should definitely reach out to that person and say, look, is this something that you would be addressing or something else? So I think that relationship should always be open between any referring doctors. And I know even myself and our own practice, um, we communicate with our chiropractors constantly, really trying to assure that we're sending them back to their chiropractor for the right reasons, and they're sending it to us for the right reasons. So we can sort of optimize the patient's care rather than patients kind of bouncing back and forth between doctors. And then two months later, finally finds the, the guy who's going to help them get better. Yeah. The, the defense attorney was talking about it in terms of it showing up in a chart, right? If it would show up in your notes or if it showed up in uh, the chiropractor's record as, you know, just a, a, a brief note in the file that uh, a phone call took place between the chiropractor and the orthopedic surgeon talking about a treatment plan, diagnosis, and, uh, and, and next steps following, you know, the, the report you send or, or prior to a referral, um, as being really good evidence of, of, of all those things, of the diagnosis, of the treatment plan, of, of a collaborative approach. Now you don't have disparate, um, uh, practitioners sort of doing their own thing. You've got sort of a collaborative approach and it really takes some of the, for lack of a better term, sort of the, the PI stink off of the, the medical practitioners and makes them look more objective and and like their uh, like their their intent is patient care first and foremost and that this is not a a pi money making opportunity but a a hey look we're just trying to get this patient better like we would anybody else and so i'm going to call this doctor and this doctor is going to call me and we're going to work on trying to get this patient better as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible and and that this uh this one uh defense attorney was saying he, he's seen this a couple of times now and in in all those instances it, it he thought it reflected really positively on on the plaintiff's case and on the on the credibility of the different medical professionals um and in both instances he re referred repeated oh my goodness that he reported back to the carrier that uh, that he thought that the the case was you know credible and 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 so forth. So I I, I didn't know if you've dealt with any of that or or how what your thoughts were on it, but I, I found it to be a really interesting idea. Uh, if it's not already happening in people's practices, that they could have sort of a and it doesn't have to take a lot of anybody's time, but you know a, a five minute conversation you know prior to a referral or even after the referral is done, the reports come in, hey, just wanted to confirm with you that, you know, this is the diagnosis, this is the treatment plan, and this is what I'll be looking out for to send it back to you or something like that. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely amazing. Yes, I wish more providers did that. I think it's a little bit of a logistics thing. Everyone's busy sort of throughout the day, but I think absolutely making a little bit of time and just simple, uh, simple text and call me on your drive home to, to tell me about someone. It doesn't take a lot of effort, but I think you're absolutely right. It does a huge amount for the patient care, advances their care quickly. It avoids delays. I think those are super important. And one thing you, you mentioned that I personally have not even thought about is, well, do we document those interactions and discussions? A lot of time, doctor-doctor discussions are not, not really documented clearly. And it's not because we're not trying to, it's just that it happens in a hallway or it happens right. as, as you're going from one place to the next. Um, and so we don't really think about, oh, I need to document something that occurred. Um, so I think that's, that's an excellent point that we should be documenting our interactions that we're already having. I, I, I mean, I didn't, I can't take credit for it. I mean, the fact that a, that a, a defense attorney of all people uh, brought that to my attention as something that really he thought added value and credibility to a case. I'm not saying on every single case that obviously wouldn't make sense for every patient on every case, but on, on certain cases and on certain patients, um, I love that idea. I think that's, that, that's really, really helpful for patient care, but also on the back end, when I end up getting the case and, and litigating that case, um, being able to show, hey, look, these people aren't out for for a quick buck. They're trying to get this patient better as fast as possible. Look, they're talking to each other, right? They're not even in the same practice. They're just trying to make get the patient better. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that people want to see in doctors. They want to believe that all of their different medical professionals are 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 working together to try to get them better. I mean, that's like the idyllic uh, world out there. So the the little bit of that that we can bring in, I think, the better. Um, we have a little bit of time here at the end, and I, I talked. I, I know that we, you and I, had talked about possibly going down this road, but I, I am interested to hear about the future of orthopedics and orthopedic surgery, particularly as it relates to um, PI cases. Not, not not PI cases, but but acute injury uh, accidents style cases. Um, what are you seeing out there? I mean, what what's the next what's the next frontier? And what what's what's because PRP injections. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a big skeptic in all things new in the world of orthopedics and, 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 and PI uh, pain management. I just get real skeptical because I've seen a lot of flash in the pan stuff that never really panned out. And then PRP came on the scene. I felt the same way about it. And I was dead wrong. Turned out to be pretty awesome. Um, I think I think we're still exploring some of the uses of it in, in, in spine cases, but in extremity cases, uh, largely successful. Um, what's what's the next frontier? I mean, what are you seeing and what are you excited about? So I think there's a couple things. One thing you just touched on is, is PRP and the whole biologics, uh, stem cells and PRP. And you're absolutely right. A lot of utility in the extremities are there. There have been some science to show that they're effective. We actually, in our office with our patients, we did a, a study that looked at PRP in, in spine injections as far as pain management. And we found that they were identical to patients who had steroid-based injections. But we know PRP is a lot safer option and then a steroid-based injection, especially for sicker patients or patients who may be getting multiple injections. So to find that they're equivalent in pain scores and pain outcome was very promising. Um, so I think that the PRP world is probably going to stay around for a long time. I think it's gonna get refined a bit and fine-tuned with the different technologies. So they'll have more specific reasons as to why we would do them rather than, well, you have pain, let's just do it, hopefully it works kind of thing. So that's one thing. The other thing that I do see a lot more now are spinal cord stimulators. And you guys are probably seeing a little bit more of it. Yeah. But whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, 
I, I don't know just yet, um, but we see them more, mainly the technologies have advanced over the last five or 10 years where the stimulators are doing much more than what they were doing 10 years ago. So this is something we were seeing in our careers. When I first started, maybe 10, 15 years ago, stimulators weren't really that popular. And they were really reserved for patients who had no other source of, of relief. Now you're starting to see the technology has changed, the implants have changed, the utility has changed, and now we're starting to use them in patients who may not need or want surgery right now, but looking for an alternative treatment that's not so invasive. Um, so I think that there's a big frontier in spinal cord stimulators, and I see that a lot in, in the in the world of, of litigation, and I started to see it a lot in, in just the average general public as well. Um, and always, there's always going to be this push to doing less is more type of surgeries where you're doing small procedures to gain as much positive impact, like the whole theory of minimally invasive. I know it's been thrown around a lot, but the idea of doing small procedures, small implants, small techniques to really get a big outcome is always going to be the, the, the forefront of, of spine surgery. If you can make someone 80% better with a small incision, sometimes it's much better than, than getting them 90% better with a large incision with a long recovery. So I think we're going to definitely see the changes of implants, the structures of implants. And I think in the next five years, we're going to take x-rays and realize, wait, what is that implant? I don't even recognize it. I've seen it. Um, and I think those are things that chiropractors are definitely going to start seeing where they're going to take x-ray and they say, wait, I've never seen that implant before. I've never seen that technology before. So I think that's certainly something that's going to happen in the next couple of years. That's uh, all incredibly exciting, actually. Um, the PRP stuff you were talking about is that I imagine like when you're talking about honing uh, fluoroscopy guided, what we're trying to be more precise about where it's going and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm seeing you nodding your head uh, for those listening along. Um, and, um, and then in terms of spinal cord stimulators, I have a, a patient, a client right now who's, uh, she just did, and I'm, I'm going through it with her for the first time. I've, I've not dealt with this before, but she had to get the, uh, they, they do a lead implantation where they keep the spinal cord stimulator external and just implant the leads just to see if it's going to be effective uh, at pain cessation, which it was in this case. She had to go through a, a mental sort of a neuro uh, psychological evaluation, uh, which I thought was interesting. I've not seen that uh, before. Um, and, uh, and now she's, she's, uh, she's clearing pre-op and she's going to go and get the, the surgical implantation of the, of the stimulator. And she's very excited. I mean, she's had chronic pain for a really long time. Uh, and this is not not mild pain. This is legit life altering, you know, affects her daily minute by minute kind of pain that when they put the stimulator, you know, in, they did just in the leads as she was she had a, a market improvement. And I was I was shocked, <laughs> pun intended, um, because I. Uh, because I, I had not heard too much about that technology before now. And, and uh, I was a little worried it was going to be like, um, like sort of the, the subcutaneous uh, morphine pumps and, and things like that, that uh, also flash in the pan and, and I think rub everybody the wrong way in terms of getting away from chronic use of narcotics and maybe toward what you were just talking about, which are smaller procedures, smaller incisions, less invasive, those sorts of things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail right there. Um, definitely. These things are very small procedures that give you big outcomes. And um, I think we're going to see more and more of those as time goes by. That's a great, that's great news. I think that's great. I think, uh, I think chiropractors for their part are, are, are interested the most in referring to doctors that don't 
you know, as a hammer, see every problem as a nail and they, they don't just want to cut everybody open, um, which is tempting for a surgeon, if not because what the hell else are you doing if you're not cutting people open? But it's not just cutting people open to the maximum extent possible. It's it's not just being a blunt instrument. We're like, okay, yes, we have these tools in our tool bag, but let's see how little we can we can do and how big of an effect we can have. And I think that that, that move in medicine, that push uh, is actually going to end up being a, a, the next frontier. Robotic surgeries, right? Making those micro incisions, super, super precise, those sorts of things. Um, I'm excited about all that uh, coming up. Yep, definitely. That's exactly what we're going to see in the in the upcoming years. Doc, I can't thank you enough for doing this again. These these half hour podcasts fly by when I have uh, guests that that are that are giving me the good stuff. Um, I do want to remind anybody listening where they can find this is going to be on uh, going to iTunes or Spotify or Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, the video is also available on YouTube. We are uh, speaking uh, next in Long Beach. If you're watching this within the next uh, couple of um, couple of weeks, we are in Long Beach at a, a CCA uh, meeting that Sean and I will be speaking at. You can go to steeleisner.com slash four doctors and, or, excuse me, slash events and find out uh, where we're speaking next. Dr. Roshan, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you guys. Take care, man. All right.